Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be a question and answer session that followed my talk about how they had to disable the orb generation from critical kills during the revelry and a lot of the content. It was causing guitar errors. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch me live. I'm probably live right now. Twitch.tv slash say no to rage. If I'm not live, you can always hit the follow button on my Twitch channel so you don't miss out on the content gonna jump right into the questions today uh let me pull up the first one from wid wid5 says do i think the icebreaker is going to come back no i don't think so if there's one thing they probably want to avoid right now is a gun that breaks ammo economy or at least subverts their attempt to control ammo economy um and i'm being told to add a date yeah i need to add to my habits here on the front end of these casts this is april 22nd when this is being recorded uh i am of sound mind and uh yeah in america there you go so now if you're listening to this you know when i recorded it (laughs) uh it's probably a good no it's probably good feedback from the community if you listen to the audio versions of these or you watch them later you now will know the exact date and time that i uh recorded them so yeah i don't i don't think the icebreaker will come back if anything will stay permanently vaulted it's probably that weapon the thing that's most likely to come back i would think in september would be the Galahorn. I could see that being one of the centerpiece exotics for the next annual pass. Uh, there's there's a certain power and a mystique and a legend, you know, that, that comes attached to the galley. So I would think they've been saving that one in their pocket for a while. Just how I feel like they've been saving the... They've been saving the... Why did he blow up and look like confetti? Did you guys see that? Um... That was weird. There was like a confetti animation on him when he died. It was almost like a transmat animation. Uh, four months from Edbo187. Thank you, sir. Um, oh, is that from the Revelry? So they just, they blow up and look like confetti? I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought it just generated orbs. Oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. I was like, what the frick? Whose birthday is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the heck is going on with my game? They're uh, they're putting transmat effects on death. Anyways, um, the icebreaker is probably the least likely to come back. I, I'm 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 putting money on the table. I think Galley's coming back this September. I think this I think it's coming back this September. That's just my guess. Next question from Thick Sphinx. Uh, Thick Sphinx says. Why would they completely disable orbs instead of changing what they do? Like, instead of having the tonic be a passive buff, why not have orbs you gen buff that ability? So you get the headshot, drop the revelry orbs, and now your abilities back. Excuse me. I don't think you understand exactly what happened, it seems. They disabled the orb generation from headshots because in games, uh, in modes like Gambit, you're able to create so many orbs. Same with raids. There's just so many trash ads that you end up with you end up with too many orbs on the ground, too many items in the game and it causes instability in the connections and it causes you to get kicked. It causes the guitar error. More than likely, I feel like this is probably related to what was happening in the last wish. You're in these big giant areas. There's like a constant flow of ads for you to make orbs and ammo bricks from 
and a lot of those orbs and ammo bricks don't get picked up in the last wish because you're you're leaving the area you don't need them or whatever so you end up with this extra amount of orbs and ammo boxes on the ground during last wish and that's what caused a lot of those guitar errors that would be a guess that i have so that that, that you're wanting them to change the way that it works i don't think they need to change the way that anything works I, i know people aren't happy about the the presence of the grenade and the buff and all that in crucible um and i know people are ticked about that the i guess Cosmo basically confirmed that they swung too hard with the way that they did the orb generation. I'm sorry, the the grenade spam in uh, in Crucible, basically confirming everybody's frustration. So I don't know if they're going to do anything this time. It, he he seemed to indicate they're not going to be able to do anything. Uh, we had multiple people this morning saying that Cosmo seemed to indicate that they will not be able to be able to make any adjustments uh, to the game before. The revelry is over so you're probably stuck dealing with the grenades in the crucible and you're probably stuck trying to get the orb generation not in gambit but in crucible and that's you know that's a bummer commander tyke i like izanagi's burden and i use it a lot people say it's not good and it's better to have an exotic in the heavy slot do you think that i'm in a disadvantage well it depends on where you're going if i was going into scourge of the past yeah i would probably like dude put that thing away that thing sucks that's not that's not going to help us right now you're wasting an exotic slot get out your whisper get out you know your get out your 1k get out your thunderlord there's a variety of exotic uh heavy weapons that completely uh you know change the nature of how much damage you can put out now izanagi's burden has its place i know people like to use it in gambit you know it's not bad for invader uh same with the Arbalist. A lot of people are using the Arbalist in PvP and in uh, and in Gambit. So, Izanagi's is a fine weapon. It just... We had this discussion before. One of the biggest dilemmas with a lot of the exotics is they're gimmicky. They're, they're rare, unique items that are gimmicky. It's really hard to be like, yeah, I'm going to put on this exotic and limit my loadout, and I'm going to be able to... Like with the Arbalist, I'm gonna be able to pop shields and shoot through a phalanx shield. It's like that's not really meeting a pain point. It's not really changing how powerful you are, and it's taking power off of the table. I can't run 1K voices, Thunderlord, the the Whisper of the Worm, the Telesto, the Lord of Wolves. You, you can't run those powerful exotics when you run something like the Arbalist and the Izanagi's Burden. So you have to make an argument. Are you gaining power? by doing that and trading and I don't think that you are Arbalist could have had a very specific purpose if it overrode if it overrode the match game modifier you could go in get your one you know your 100,000 nightfall and get one of the better modifiers for point buffs and override match game with Arbalist but it doesn't override match game so it's just a very the Arbalist is just another bizarre sort of not that exciting exotic that doesn't even it doesn't even seem to have a unique role like overriding match game would have gave it a unique role but it doesn't even get to do that ed to uh thorid edward i guess i'm not sure how do you uh do you think the tonic buff grenades abilities melee was an accident or just bungee that incompetent they're not incompetent it's in the dadgum game what are you talking about an accident 
you come in here and you can boost it now if you're talking about what it's doing to crucible i don't think they're incompetent i think they said let's do something fun and everybody gets their panties in a bunch why i think bungie has conflicting interests you you tell people Here's a pinnacle weapon, the recluse. And in order to get the recluse, people are going into competitive. Well, competitive ain't really going to be a fun encounter and a fun place to be when you're constantly getting spammed by nades. So the let's have fun idea and interest grates against and creates conflict against the sector of the community that's like, I'm working on getting recluse or I just like running comp, okay? So th- those those interests are in conflict. Now, sometimes things slip through the cracks. Did they know that you be able to run Doomfang Pauldrons and be able to put on grenade. I'm sorry. Yeah, grenade. And it would read your shield as a grenade when you're in your super so you can spam your shield infinitely at a boss. They might not have known that was going to happen, but to a certain extent, they probably don't care. They're like, that's cool. It's only limited time. It's 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 going to go away. I think they should do more stuff like this. I think they should do more stuff like this. That's why I think the Crucible needs to pivot away from the idea of being able to be truly competitive. I don't think it's possible. And the more they the more they lean away from that, and the more they make it clear to people that this game's just not built for a truly balanced, truly competitive environment. It just hasn't been built that way for going on five years now. They could probably do more events like this, have more fun, um, and and not worry so much about being truly competitive. I think that's one of the main reasons that stuff like this just ends up causing frustration. Giant Slayer, I see that Bungie doesn't invite you to their events feedbacks regularly. Is this because you don't sugarcoat things or and are very criticizing about many things in this game? It's always good to have feedback. I ask this because you're very pivotal in PvE community. I've seen on your stream since D1 when you did raids on a daily basis. Your thoughts on this? I don't have a clue why Bungie has decided to do what they're doing. I don't. I I have no idea why they won't interact with me, they ignore me, and they don't invite me to stuff. I don't know why. Now, to a certain extent, they don't need to. I don't don't need any more feathers in my cap other than everything they did in Forsaken that came right out of our Q&A sessions. Right from the community, right from my suggestions, right from my videos. You don't have to invite me to your headquarters to know that I have I have influence and I'm and I'm doing what everybody else is doing. If you go to Reddit, if you go to Twitter, if you go to the forums and you voice your opinion, that opinion helps shape the dialogue. That dialogue leads to good changes. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I don't need to fly out to Seattle in order to do that. Now, is it is it is it a little frustrating? Yeah, it would be cool to go to the headquarters of the game that you know changed my life, but that's not my goal as a content creator. My goal as a content creator is not to figure out and deduce why a commu- like a company will or will not invite me out, right? I I'm I don't think the people that get invited sugarcoat things. Plenty of the people that get invited have been very critical of the game. Plenty of people that get invited have been very very vocal about shortcomings in the game. It's not like they only invite out a bunch of suck-ups and 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 people that, you know, are are not critical of the game. Tons of people um tons of people don't get it I'm sorry, tons of people get invited that are very critical of the game consistently. Um so and sometimes it just doesn't make any sense sometimes it doesn't make any sense there was like two a two-year period uh there was like a two-year period where they paid no attention to gigs 
and now it's like gigs and the developers are best friends on Twitter. I, it's like they all had a slumber party or something. Like they're always joking with each other back and forth and stuff. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they paid no attention to gigs. Wouldn't do a community focus on him. People got mad. They're like, this is one of the leaders in the directory. This guy's doing trials. He's a positive influence. He's got good ideas. Why don't you guys do a community focus on him? And he was always like, I don't know. Like he was always genuinely curious why he was basically like on an ignore list. And now the complete opposite is true and that kind of happened with me in the reverse i was a cool kid and now i'm not um i don't know some of it could be related to the you know to the the, to the stuff that's gone around in the background people have privately slandered me and lied about me and spread rumors about me to get me you know put on put on don't don't include this person lists and that could have reached the ears of Bungie and Bungie could have been like, eh, you know, doesn't sound like we want to work with this guy, you know, from w- what we're hearing. And that's just the nature of this business. The business is very, uh, it's very cutthroat and people will, people will slice your, slice your throat so that they can climb a little bit higher. Trust, trust me, it happens. So, um, just one of those things. You know, you were cool for a while. Yeah, I was a cool kid and now I'm not. And I don't care. It's just the nature of the business. It happens to more people than me. I'm not alone in this, in the streaming content creator world. Um, it's just one of the things that happens. Uh, and you, all, all you can do, all you can do is try to just keep rising above and create dope content and worry about what matters, right? I've never seen anybody, I've never, I've never seen anybody's career made by like, oh, I got to go to a capture event, right? That's not what happens. Generally, what leads to success in this environment is you land on the right game at the right time and you capture an audience and you push really hard. That's what happened with my channel. I didn't know anybody in the Destiny community. I didn't network. I wasn't getting raided and hosted. I wasn't, I wasn't in with the big crowd. I wasn't right? I grew my channel on my own and I think most people do that. Most people do that. Now, there are people that network well and they get codes from developers, they go to conferences, they get early access, and all that's great. I think those relationships are helpful, but those relationships do not make or break a, a, a career in streaming. So a lot of people get all up in arms. They're like, why don't you invite this person? I love this person. Why are they not coming to the event? And truth be told, you'll never truly know. You'll never truly know. There could be somebody somewhere in some department that saw a stream, clip, or a video that just decided we don't want to include this person. And there's nothing you can do to change that. I've never attempted to change people's perception of me by acting different, uh, you know, on stream or saying different things to Bungie or other developers to try to, like, get on their good side. Um, That's why when people gave me grief about the whole Anthem thing, it was like, I genuinely enjoy the core game of Anthem. I still to this day believe they could turn that game around, but I also was very critical of that game and did not hold back in my criticism. I talked about ways that the end game fell short. I talked about ways that I was concerned about the end game when I came back from the capture event. It didn't seem like they had a lot of it figured out just yet. And I've just, I've always been that way, you know? Now in friendship circles, I definitely made the mistake And this is something that I've learned about myself for the last year and a half. I definitely made the mistake in the, once I started getting like, 
included and like I felt like I was a part of the in crowd I definitely started acting in ways that were disingenuous I was trying to fit in I was being a chameleon I kind of fell back into some pretty pretty bad habits but I've never done that with developers right I've never done that with developers I've never tried to like oh I'm gonna say what need what, I'm gonna say the right thing I'm gonna try and suck up to these people to be included um and that's just how I've always approached my content whether it's division whether it's anthem destiny borderlands I talk about the good and the bad I I did that with my division content and a lot of people gave me grief about my thoughts on the world tiers but then a couple of weeks went by and a lot of people were agreeing with me they were just like the end game just went so fast the world tiers were too quick we didn't really do we didn't really do anything and now we're just kind of waiting everybody's just kind of sitting around waiting so if if I invest heavily in any game, whether I you know I'm gonna play a lot of Borderlands, I'm gonna play a lot of uh, Destiny in the future and beyond, and you know I'm gonna invest in a lot of different games, a lot of different directories. Those developers may never say boo to me. They may never give me a hat tip. They may never they, they may not invite me to anything, um, and that's gonna be even more unlikely if influential people keep trying to keep me keep me blocked from stuff. But but. That doesn't matter because that doesn't make or break your career. And it's not going to stop me from having influence and being like, I think this needs to happen. And it, you guys matter more to me, right? Having these conversations are way more important to me than, you know, going to an event. You know, I'd rather be here talking with the community and having a, and having a debate and a conversation about something. I'd much rather be doing that. That's kind of where I've always landed on my motivations and what I like doing. Um, I don't know. The the Twitch talks that we used to do back in the day to now really shaped a lot of what I like doing with my content. Uh, Eknor. I am playing Anthem these days and the bosses and world design is huge. Do you think Bungie should invest in a new engine? Uh, people's lagging right now. I mean, obviously when you compare games, sometimes you can make those comparisons like, man, it'd be so cool if there were like really, really big monsters um, in Destiny, really big bosses, really big battles. You know, you fight these big giant titans in... in uh, you fight these big huge titans in Anthem, and it's like, man, if we can only do that, just just Ursixes, you know, something that big and that agile would be really, really fun uh, in Destiny. But, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily an engine issue. I mean, you fight raid bosses that are just absolutely uh, enormous. So you could clearly, I think, do pretty large fights in Destiny. You don't, I don't know if they need a new engine to do that. Now, obviously, it gets complicated because whenever there's a big enemy on screen, like, go back and look at the, like, go back and analyze the Oryx fight. Analyze the Last Wish fight, you know? Anytime the big boss baddies in the room, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of enemies around. They, like, really, really limit, um, they really, really limit how much is going on. You know, Oryx comes out, there's not very many things going on. He goes back and sits really still when a lot of the ads are spawning. And even then, the ads are pretty sparse during the Oryx fight. That's just kind of the nature of it. So I do think there's limitations in this engine with respect to, like, environments and boss fights. Um, but I also think I also think that <clears throat> they they've used a lot of the space and a lot of the size of what they can do pretty well over the years to give us pretty big encounters. Um, 
the the scope and size of Anthem is one of the reasons that I still really enjoy it. As soon as I start flying around and I feel like Iron Man, I get in a couple of battles and a couple of fights, I'm just like, man, the core game of Anthem is so good. It's just really, really enjoyable. Any tips on getting max light fast? Do this. Do the surge bounties from Drifter, and then he's got... There's revelry bounties this week that are pretty good too. So the surge bounties will level you up, and then there's like... There's bounties from Eva, uh, Eva Levante that'll let you get targeted specific drops, and they're pretty big jumps. Uh, Ashen Annihilator says, Let's say Epic and Bungie make a deal regarding the usage of the Unreal Engine and Epic Store exclusivity. Can you give some examples of how the Unreal Engine could benefit the game and players? Well, the Unreal Engine is more agile, so they'd have an easier time adapting the game to the different like console strengths so you're always going to have consoles that are that are basically slightly weaker than the strongest pc and one of the reasons that like fortnite can be scaled down to give you 60 fps on console is because the engine is agile they can they can mess with textures and rendering distance and a lot of the ways that they basically create the world and because of that they're able to give you an experience on console that's you know it's kind of rare it's rare to play a game and hit 60 fps on console it's got to be the right kind of game right kind of environment um so the unreal engine would enable them to do more with the uh with the with the just the size of the game, how well it runs. There's a lot you can do with the Unreal Engine that you can't presently do. The other thing that would be really good about the Unreal Engine is that pretty much every leak that we've ever had about Destiny is that they have a really, really hard time making content quickly. Uh, you know, it just it's hard for them to make content quickly. It's hard for them to make changes quickly. So that would also benefit us as well. Um, Rusty with three months. Keep up the good conversations. Thank you, Rusty, for three months. That's a blue badge. Nifty Biscuit with 19 months. Welcome back. Rusty, I'm sorry. Yours was like 20 minutes ago. I missed it. I apologize. <clears throat> I turn off alerts during these Q&A sessions, so I didn't hear it. Um, so yeah. Unreal would help f- for a variety of ways. Quicker updates, quicker changes, quicker fixes, bigger areas, more, you know, just a more agile environment. There's a lot that, that comes with uh, Unreal that presently are some of the major, major pain points of Destiny is that, you know, they struggle to make changes fast, they struggle to make content, they struggle to make, they struggle to make big content, you know. 24 months from Scornful Rapier, dude, thank you so much. That is two entire years of support. That's a gold badge. Welcome back, dude. Uh, next question. Ed says, why does it seem like when it rains, it pours with Bungie when things go wrong? Arc weak, the revelry bugs, pinnacle bugs. Would you say the pendulum swings hard in one direction? Well, I mean, we don't always need to use the pendulum swinging analogy. That doesn't really, that doesn't really work here. (laughs) I know that's something that I say, but that's typically when I talk about like when they change the meta, Um, meaning that you go from one side of a circle to another, you go from one extreme to another. That's not really applicable here. What we're dealing with right now is I think skeleton crude content I think they develop content like arc week like the revelry and they deliver that content to, to, to meet the, the, the droughts they didn't want to have content droughts so there's a purpose there's a logistical purpose behind 
content like the revelry content like arc week okay but that purpose is you know somewhat undercut and short-circuited by the fact that the gear's not that great the perks aren't that great maybe they didn't give us enough intentionality with the you know the the reckoning right they could have given us way more intentionality with the reckoning well again that may be because they're just running on low bandwidth they're running low crew they don't have a lot of people so you know quality control goes down depth and breadth goes down Uh, you know that's probably one of the reasons this is weaker the other thing to consider is we've said many times more than likely season of opulence is going to be the beefier piece of the content um because they're just going to naturally want to give you the most amount of consumer confidence they can in the summer because that's roughly around the time they're going to start marketing and promoting the next annual pass and if they were trying to market the next annual pass right now, a lot of the Destiny community would be like, yeah, the frick right, I'm not going to do the annual pass again, this is garbage. But if they start marketing the next annual pass when you're enjoying Season of Opulence, and Season of Opulence feels beefy, well then, I think that will work in their favor. I, a lot of us anticipated this section of the annual pass being the weakest point. We, we, we anticipated this. I don't I wasn't surprised. I told people after they put out that trailer for season of the Drifter and everybody got hyped, I was like, I'm not hyped at all. I was like, it looks like if you don't like Gambit, there's nothing for you. You can go grind the reckoning, but the reckoning was is mainly a driver for full sets of armor for Gambit Prime. Now they've messed with drop rates of the guns. But the reckoning as content just isn't very great. It, it, it just isn't very good content. Like it, it doesn't, it just isn't very satisfying. You've got to run soup, you know, you got to run exotics, exotics and supers that arguably are, you know, you're just kind of mashing LB and RB and there's like a six second window for failure. And even with the drop rate changes, they had to put in protections probably because the drop rates are still really bad. Um, and that just doesn't, that's just not very promising, you know. What shader is on your service revolver? We already answered that. It's the new Scourge of the Past raid one. Ed says, why did Bungie get rid of the ability to infuse other class armor with other classes, such as in D1, you could infuse the hunter chest with my warlock? Well, because you would basically, they're trying to slow you down. A lot of their decisions have been to slow you down. They want to see you play longer spread things out that's why infusion is costly that's why leveling is rng and milestone based and if you could hit a certain level right let's imagine that you do everything you can possibly can do with your first character and you pass down the guns not only do you pass down the guns you pass down like extra pieces of armor that you got and then you can infuse that armor well now you're bypassing a lot of the leveling pain that they created they don't want to give you the ability to circumvent leveling pain that they've designed when you think about the motivation like think like a developer with me for just a second why would you limit leveling to milestones why would you allow milestones to be rng based why would you make infusion costly why would you do all these things these things are not designed for you to have a better time or a better experience or more fun these things are designed to stretch out the content the idea of milestones and infusion came from destiny to year one which was basically a time where you, they didn't have tons of content and that's how they spread it out, you know? 
Bullshark says, I have six or seven triumphs done for the Arbalist. Would you say strikes would be the fastest way to complete and kill bosses wearing the four pieces of armor? I did the four bosses wearing the pieces of armor. Um, so in the event ones, I did... Uh, what's this one? It says, generate orbs of light in the Verdant Forest or in the Black Armory while being affected. That one's not difficult. Uh, defeat 20 bosses wearing at least four pieces. During the event, uh, do grenade final blows and crucible gambit or strikes. I just went into... Um, I just went into a nightfall and put on grenadier for that one and went into like a lost sector. Uh, clear simulation branches that just happens naturally 335 defeat bosses in one run of the verdant forest and then defeat enemies using super abilities like none of that stuff is difficult to do um, to get the to get the, the the seven done that you need for the event was that seven did that add up to seven or did I have to go to the next page I might be missing one um, and then oh the melee yeah, just melee enemies while you're in the forest. I'm not Russian says about your talk on strike modifiers. Destiny modifiers are one dimensional and that most simply affect the damage number while none affect enemy behavior. Shouldn't Bungie focus on creating interesting modifiers that change enemy behavior and therefore difficulty rather than adding another modifier that affects damage numbers? Um... I don't necessarily know what a lot of the modifiers I think that made things really good in Destiny 1 is the same principle that made for really good uh, uh, perks, right? So whenever you whenever you had a perk in D1 that would give you a benefit while taking something away uh, hand laid stock, braced frame, these sorts of things. You get a benefit while getting a little bit of a detriment. So rainbow burn or, you know, other, th- I can't even remember some of the ones that they had that, that I, I don't know. I felt like the best modifiers and perks are the ones where you're like, yes, it comes with this, but it also comes with this. It also comes with this pain point right now. I just feel like most people look to see if there's bad modifiers, you you know there's going to be a burn. You're basically looking for a burn in heavyweight. After that, you're like, how bad are the modifiers? What are the bad ones? You know, you know there was daybreak, there was rainbow burn in D1. Right, there were ones that you know you kind of knew it was going to bring the sauce and the pain at the same time. Pedro, thank you so much for two months of subs. That I, that to me, uh, that to me, I think is it is a difference than um, the what what we have now. There's got to be a sense of yes, I've got hand laid stock or braced frame. This helps, but it also takes this away. That adds to better combinations too, because then you're like, what if you could get hand laid stock on a gun right now to get that increased stability? And then it took away range, but then you could add range back with a modifier. Like, really get deep down into the trenches of weapon customization. Of, of making a weapon feel like it's your own, that you've really, in, you know, you really invested in it. 
Do you believe the future D2 content after Opulence and D3 will happen on PC despite the Activision split? I There is literally no way they leave PC hanging. I just, I don't know why this... We get versions of this question a lot. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I, I, I really don't think they would ever do that. That would be a, a pretty significant blow. I know we're the minority. The PC community is not the largest portion, but I can't see them right now stepping off the PC landscape voluntarily like that. That would just be, I don't know. Nine months from Bowersocks. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm not Russian. Follow up to my question on strike modifiers. Do you think that the lack of modifiers is due to engine limitations? To be clear, Destiny's AI are as inaccurate as the blindfolded stormtrooper across levels of activities. Maybe the lack of modifiers that affect enemy behavior is due to the fact that the enemies are hard-coded, co- hard-coded to be dumb, and those modifiers are difficult. Well, yeah, I mean, in general, I, I made that joke this morning. The enemies just use cheesy, like, there's no cooldowns on their abilities, they just teleport, they spam their stuff, like, there was a there was a Minotaur that got confused, and he just kept teleporting all around my grenades, and then he died. Well, when you code the enemy to dial in a, che- you know, a cheesy strategy of just spamming his teleport ability, he doesn't really have good pathfinding, and he gets confused, and he kills himself on a grenade. Um, so... They'll 100% leave PC behind if it makes sense financially. No, they they would never leave PC behind at this point. They would never do that. There's just no way. They've given away the game for free on PC. That's in the Blizzard launcher. I, I cannot see... I can't see it making financial sense to turn your back on such a big player base. Even if we're the minority, that's a lot of players. That's a lot of players. Um... The financial loss would be massive. And you got to consider what that does to the future of the franchise. There's immediate financial loss and consumer frustration. But then there's long term, you're really short sighted. You're making the game feel very uh, short sighted long term. Um, I don't know. D2 PC is a full game, not a port, which Vicarious Visions made. With VV gone, I can see D3 becoming a port or not existing on PC. I just don't see that being the case, given how strong the PS5 is going to be. And if that's the case, then then the version that runs on the new consoles is going to be butt cheeks. Like if they, whatever they create, will port just fine if they make it for the new consoles. Um. If they make the next Destiny for the new consoles and they ramp things up, that would probably port just fine to um, to the uh, to the PC. I don't know. It's also possible that Vicarious Visions built this version of Destiny in a way that can be replicated for the time being. And added to for the time being. So we'll see. How much, uh, how much of a selling factor do you think it will be for Bungie if they don't use the new engine? Well, I mean, if you're not going to use the new engine, um, if, you, if, if they don't go to a new engine, okay, how much of a selling factor do you think it will be if they don't? They're going to have to really think long and hard about how they position the game. Because here's what folks are going to want to know. Here's what's going to happen, okay? New consoles will change the narrative. 
the new consoles are going to land and they're going to change the narrative. They're going to be telling people, look at all these great graphics, look at all these dope things that are going on, look at all the cool stuff you can get. And then people are going to start to think, oh wow, look at how great these games look. So when Destiny 2 sort of starts winding down and Destiny 3 starts to get marketed, people are going to want to know where are you taking this game, right? Where are you taking it? How how is it going to how is it what what's the graphics going to look like? What's the what's the size of the area going to look like? Are we getting dedicated servers? These are all going to be questions from the community. These are completely logical questions by the way because that's exactly what that's exactly what happens when you you bring a con, uh, you bring you bring a, a a franchise forward. When you bring a franchise forward, you 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 add new stuff. For perfect example, I was playing uh, Guacamelee yesterday, right? Playing Guacamelee, and it's Guacamelee 2. And skill trees that I can spend money in. There's five different layers of the skill tree. There's like five different trainers that can add different skills to my character. And that was not in the first game. The graphics were better. There was lighting effects on my character. The backgrounds that are, you know, that, that look so cool and so artsy are have more depth. They have more going on. They look more advanced. That's part of that's part of it being a sequel, right? That they they literally take it further um, than it was previously. Uh, there, there's, there's a few, there's a, there's a few games that have, that have pulled off, not really adding much, but I can't even really think of them. I thought I was going to think of one as I said that. I don't think there are very many games that have gone to a sequel and, and don't add much. Like they don't really increase the game. They don't really increase what the game does. Borderlands one to Borderlands two, Diablo one to Diablo two. If it's just a natural expectation that the ne- the next game, like look at the Halos, Halo one, two, and three. Like look at the look at the nature of you know how far Call of Duty came from Call of Duty one, two, and then what was it? Call of Duty one, two, three, and then Modern Warfare. Just the, the the differences between each of those games was pretty significant. Now obviously, Call of Duty got very samey in its late life stages, but that's because you can only do so much with like a six man you know, a 6v6 small, small encounter environment, you know. Hey, Lono, do you think the Destiny community criticisms of the game uh, most align with yours? This is from uh, Streamwork. It depends. I don't, like, the, the, uh, the criticism that people make from PvP, they range pretty far along a spectrum. There's like the highly competitive-minded players. There's the players that really, really want things to be balanced. There's the players that don't really care about, you know, balance. They just want to have fun. Uh, there's the players that think really, really pinnacle, strong pinnacle PvP weapons need to be nerfed. I mean, there's people all along a spectrum. So no, I don't think the community aligns with me on that side of the fence. I think when you come to PvE though, I bet you if you polled, like if you did like a survey, what do you think about this aspect of PV- PvE and this aspect and this aspect and this aspect? You started, you know, you kind of polled the community. I would wager to say I would align with most of the community on the PvE stuff. With respect to loot grind, leveling, rolls on weapons, depth of perks, power of perks, um, uh, 
what you should do with the vendors and strikes and you know all those things i feel like most people would align with me at the end of that survey right survey says you know out of 100 people surveyed 75 percent of these people heavily aligned with what you know lono thinks or whatever right because there are going to be people that don't agree with me on raid design or you know the what were they, what were they called the revive tokens or you know what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about people that were like oh, I want to keep my gear for forever and I'm like I don't that would be one question on the on the questionnaire where I would diverge from a lot of the community maybe not a lot but a portion of the community but I think at the end of it if you ask people like 100 questions there'd probably be 75 to 80 of the questions I would line right up with with PVE folks just because we all want the same things. We want we want dope gear. We want good content to grind, like repetitious content to grind to get the gear. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's where a lot of the motivations land. Big picture, we would align. Now, once you get down into the, like, the minutia of like how certain things are streamlined, I'll give you an example. A lot of people would be like, well, I want strike-specific loot to come back in the game, and I would push back and say, well, you have strike-specific loot in the Nightfall-specific loot. I would rather give you Vanguard-specific loot that you can grind for in the strike playlist with a bounty system. So we're in agreement that they need to do something with strikes, but when you get into the specifics, that's when we would disagree. We would be like, well, strike-specific loot does exist. You go and grind it when it's the Nightfall, grinding the strikes since it's a playlist and not a specific you're when you pick a nightfall you go to a specific strike when you pick the playlist you're in a playlist that you're supposed to just kind of stay in there so we would diverge and disagree about the execution but at a fundamental level we would agree what the frick is going on with strikes we don't have a reason to run strikes other than a milestone you know that's what I think that, that we would agree but then maybe diverge on execution and that's fine as long as we both we would both get our way as long as the problem was addressed you know wet news I haven't played D2 since Warmind do you think it could be worth it uh, to point just back to the game and having missed so much you've not played since Warmind do you think it would be worth it at this point to get back in I think it's worth it to play Forsaken I think Forsaken's great I think Forsaken's fantastic. Um, the 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 way they told the story, the Baron fights, it's a really, really, really good, good DLC. Um, so if you jump back in now and you play through Forsaken and then the Black Armory, I think that's a ton of content, ton of gear to chase. Um, I think there's a lot that could be enjoyed in that content. Geronimo, do you think Hawkmoon will come back in Season of Opulence such as Thorn? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Hawkmoon didn't it already get... I thought people already figured that out. Data-minded or something. I think we're pretty sure Hawkmoon's coming back in Opulence. Oh, that might have been a Shadow of a non the Nine leak, I think. Have you... Uh, do you think we're going to get new classes in D3? I would think so. Oh, you mean Titan Warlock Hunter? No, 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 no. Titan Warlock Hunter are it. We would get new subclasses, new powers, new supers, yes. Clay Tonks. Have you seen Paul Tassi's article that exotics such as Skull of the Dire Ahamkara need to be nerfed? What are your thoughts? I'm personally opposed to the ideas that doesn't hurt other players' experience. Okay, Paul makes a really good argument that I don't like the fact that he's making the argument because there's a big part of me that knows he's right. If I strip away my bias, his reworks of those exotics, okay 
are right in line with the rest of the exotics in the game. Okay? He's not saying nerf them, he's saying change them. Like, skulls should add a bunch more projectiles. And shards of Galanor should have you, like, spin in a circle and throw knives everywhere. Okay? Kind of like a die, die, die kind of a thing, right? I know Paul's right. I don't like that he's right, but I know that Paul's right because, okay, Skull of the Dire Ahamkara, Phoenix Protocol, and Orpheus Rigs, the ones that he set his sights on, and then even Shards of Galanor, he was trying to help, I think, because Shards of Galanor kind of sucks right now in the realm of getting your super back. Super inconsistent, not very, not very good, not what it once was, okay? Now, the... The solutions that he came up with, his suggestions, get at the heart of what exotics typically are. They're kind of gimmicky, and they're not that influential. That is why, that is why, those ones stand out so, so much. Skull of the Dire Ahamkara, Phoenix Protocol, Orpheus Rigs, these guys stand out because they are far and away way more influential than any other exotic in the game like there's nothing what are you going to put on Nova that's going to be like oh yeah, this is so much better this is so much better than Skull no you can't you cannot compete with Skull it's it's not possible you use the Skull in Gambit or if you use the Skull in the forest the Verdant Forest you there is literally no way you could justify using any other exotic okay here's where I disagree with Paul alright here's where I disagree with Paul I think exotics with respect to armor should be that game changing. And the problem isn't that the skull of the dire Ahamkara and Orpheus Riggs and Phoenix Protocol are too strong, right? You could maybe dial them back a little bit so they're slightly less effective, but they still ultimately do the same thing. You could maybe dial them back a little bit. I could maybe get behind that, but then the rest of the exotics are the main issue. They're too gimmicky. They don't freaking do anything. Are you going to run the Capri's Horn or what's the one for the the Warlock? Uh, what's that exotic chess piece for the Warlock? Let, let's go look at it. The Are you going to run Sanguine Alchemy or Starfire Protocol or Wings of Sacred Dawn or Vesper of Radius rather than Phoenix Protocol? Really? Are you? Even as good as Chromatic Fire is, are you going to really run that over Phoenix Protocol when you go into difficult content? No, you're not. Why? They're gimmicky in comparison. They don't do enough. You know? Now, if Vesper Radius, okay created that wave blast from your rift and it was actually really powerful and knocked people back and really hurt them and it did it it did it like i don't know every five seconds when you as long as you're standing in the rift well now we're talking that's not that gimmicky that's actually pretty fun that might actually influence things if he changes if he gets his way right if, the, if these exotics get get changed to this degree and paul gets his way then everyone's just going to run Luna Faction. Because Luna Faction's actually, like, a tangible benefit to the player. There's clearly a benefit to saying, like, wow, look at all of, you know, look at all of the, the you know, the, the damage we're able to do on an empowering rift, etc., etc. Like, I just don't think you're going to get your way. You're going to whittle the exotic, you're going to whittle exotic representation down to, to the last remaining exotics that seem to do anything because that's basically all warlocks use before geomags phoenix protocol and skull kind of started to get traction in the community everybody just ran luna faction uh why it seemed to actually influence 
your experience and I don't feel like that would change much and that's why I feel like you need to look at maybe dialing those down a little bit maybe dialing the exotics down he talked about just a little bit and then keep uh, bring the other ones up bring the other uh, bring the other exotics up so that they're less gimmicky for example is the new warlock exotic gauntlets the supercharger arc soul it's extremely fun and helpful and uh, with careful playing you can really keep it going right but again like does that feel influential enough uh, sweat says would you be alright if Bungie scrapped the next annual pass and focus on D3 release th- th- this is a, this is a a a pointless question to a certain extent because that's not they're not going to do that they're not going to they're not going to do that but would I be okay with it uh, I don't know I think the danger would be you just got done telling us you've come up with a new format of avoiding content drought and then you turn around and you're like well but we're going to do a big content drought I think that would frustrate people uh, stream work follow up to my question about your and the community criticisms of the game would you think that people from the community who are going to the summit would convey your thoughts on the game going forward? I'm Again, I'm not worried about the summit. I'm not. People need to understand something, okay? Bungie combs over the forums. They come over Reddit. They come over lots of pieces of the game. The community, okay? But, you know, Dylan and Cosmo are consistently interacting with the community on the forums and on Reddit, having a back and forth, and... You know, even Deej got on the for the the forums. Or I'm sorry, on Reddit the other day to qualify his comments about PvP. The summit is just one more avenue of feedback. They're just making a capture event multi-purpose. Okay, capture events have been happening since Destiny One. I turned down two capture event invites because I don't have a YouTube channel that it makes sense to be away from stream for three to four days and away from my family to go to capture events, right? So going to a summit is not some like quintessential form of feedback that if I don't go, Bungie's not getting the feedback. That just isn't how it works. All of the community's feedback matters. Uh, Fear Gu- I missed Fear's 22 month sub Juicebox with 24 months that's a 2 year for Juicebox and Shackadelli with 30 months we don't need no stinking invites right like this idea that the summit is somehow like a special form of feedback is just it's it's a total myth they listen to the entire community do you think they dreamed up what we wanted in Forsaken after the summit? No, most of what they were already working on was already in place, and they showed it to people at the very first summit. They had already jettisoned double primary. They had already come up with random roles. They had already come up with a mod system, and they showed the people at the summit those things to get their feedback on it. Like, that's it. I mean, that's that's essentially what they did now beyond that what they've done is is they've said we're going to bring the community out they're going to record footage and then we're going to get their feedback on the content and do you honestly think at the rate of speed that Bungie works okay do you think they're going to make any tectonic significant changes between now and opulence because people went and got to you know record footage and give feedback no that isn't how it works that just isn't how it works I don't think that you can look at... I thought they scrapped the idea of random rolls, though. They wanted one static perk, and some people said, heck no. No. that's As far as I know, that's not true. When I spoke to Clintus, he seemed to know quite a bit about what they were doing with the weapon system and the rolls 
when he came back from the summit and what we got in forsaken was essentially what they showed people at the summit i mean i i don't think they said one static perk now maybe they did random rolls and one perk stayed static or something and they made an adjustment there but again again the summit influence at this point is not the same as what you're even talking about if they do an annual pass summit for the next annual pass i don't need to be there i don't like I don't need to go to, I don't need to go there just like you don't need to go there. You can take to Twitter, you can take to Reddit, you can take to the forums and you can voice your opinion. Perpetuating this idea that people get to go and influence the outcome of the game is just something that like content creators passively do to stroke their own ego. They don't have more influence than you. They don't. Nobody goes to these situations and says you need to do this and then they say okay, how high? MTash said they showed people one random perk note on guns and everyone laughed and said this wouldn't float. Right. And again, that's the first summit. We're not talking about that anymore. So, um, I don't, I don't think you, every single time they show people content at this point, they're not having more influence than you are. They're not, they're going out, they're providing feedback. If you think they're having huge tectonic influence, look at when they happen in proximity to the launch date. Crump, thank you for 27 months. They don't have enough time. The first summit happened super early in the year, and then September is when Forsaken landed. They're doing these ones probably, what, two or three months before the content comes out. Bungie moves at such a snail's pace. I mean, look at the stuff they're doing right now. Look at the difference between Season of the Drifter and Season of the Forge. Do you honestly think folks are flying? Like, that? this is a real, real good question then. For people to think these, these summits are hugely influential and that streamers are influencing the game and they're having a massive influence. Let me ask you something. Then how in the blue frick did Season of the Drifter happen? Somebody, like, riddle me that, Batman. Like, did they fly out? The streamers and the community members that I know that are barely touching the game now, that are hardly touching Destiny, do you think they flew out for Season of the Drifter and were like, this is fantastic? No, they were probably like, this isn't enough. This is too narrow. It's too related to Gambit. Like, I guarantee you they said things like that. There's, there's, no, there's no way they can change the rudder direction at that point. The content's largely built. The content's largely built. Season of the Drifter would not have happened if summit attendees at these capture events had enough influence to change the content. That's why they should stop calling them summits. They're capture events. You go, you play the content, you get some recordings, you give us feedback. Thank you so much. We'll see you later. The the very first summit was completely different. It was like we've we're at a we're at a we're at a fork in the road. We're six months away from the next deliverable. What the frick should we do? This is what we're trying here. Give us your feedback. This is what we're trying here. Give us your feedback. What they're doing now is is they're just dressing up capture events to create the this this feeling of we're listening. Enhancement cores, infusion, crappy leveling, and Season of the Drifter are all the proof you need that they're not really doing a good job of implementing what they're hearing. 
I have a very hard time believing that most of the people that went and played Season of the Drifter at the Season of the Drifter Summit, I have very severe doubts that most of those people gave positive feedback for the structure of Season of the Drifter. I just highly doubt it. I trust my colleagues to go out there and be like, this probably ain't going to go over that well. It just isn't. It just seems more, I mean, I don't know. To be honest, you play the game every day. They're not worried about you. They care about recapturing players that have left. Yeah, but I mean, that's not necessarily true either, Eugene, because they bring out tons of people that play all the time. So I've, I've had enough conversations and I've been treated in such a way in private encounters with people that I've just pretty much moved on from thinking that they're going to want anything to do with me. And I, like I said, I don't care. You can't lose a race you're not taking part in. That's not what I've set my sights on. Like, when people were coming in and making fun of me for not getting invited to the summit, do you think I cared when I got signed to a talent agency? Like, that's that's where my sights are. I'm not I'm not setting my sights on getting invited to events. It just that's if it happens, cool, great honor, good 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 to meet people, good to meet community managers. The Anthem capture event was dope. But that's not, you You can't set your sights on that because it's so easy to not make the cut. It's so easy to not get included, you know? More cat. What if instead of leaving gear behind each season or yearly installment, old gear changes and you keep bringing it forward? You mean like new roles on stuff? There's just a danger there because then people that want to go back and try to get the midnight coup well the midnight coup is different now you know it's one of those things it's like I I don't I don't think that I don't know that's dangerous to me it makes sense to do a full refresh of the game every year to two years full refresh that just makes more sense to me that's why Taken King is one of the most praised DLCs because that's exactly what happened Nobody was like, oh my gosh, I have to leave behind gear. People were like, happy to have a bunch of new stuff to go chase. Gunplay is the only reason I keep coming back to Destiny. Do you think Bungie can replicate the gunplay in a different engine? Says Banshee. I believe so. I believe the Unreal Engine is good enough to replicate this gunplay. Sweat says, sorry I was too vague with my question. Do you feel they can keep up with the content and maintain their no drought method, but also pivot to the new engine properly for D3 for the Destiny we want? Sorry about the first one. No, it's okay. I, I Yeah, I, I've... That's the big question mark. I don't know, dude. I don't know how many people they've lost. I don't know how many people they've that have left were let go. I mean, we saw Hamrick and we saw Wisniewski speak out publicly. We don't know who else has been let go. We don't know who else, what departments are being downsized. We don't know how many people have been shifted to D3. We don't know how many people are working on the next annual pass. We have zero clue right now. Um, we have zero clue. People definitely complained about leaving behind gear in TTK. Sure, people also complained about skeleton keys. They still grinded for them, they still played. People complained about leaving behind gear in Taken King, and it was one of the most praised DLCs, one of the best times in Destiny 1. So, that's the point. They're gonna complain no matter what. I'd rather have them complain and start chasing new gear than have what we have now, which is just a bunch of apathetic guardians that are like, I can't be bothered to grind the forge. Why? It takes too long to get the roll that I want, and I already have good guns, so I don't need those rolls. 
grinding for gear in the King's Fall raid, grinding for an Imago loop, grinding for tier 12, grinding for Genesis chain, doing all those things happened because you had vacancy and a need to fill it. I wouldn't have put up with the bad RNG of the Imago loop if I had a fate bringer. That's all the proof you need that the complaint would have been uttered, but the engagement would have been there. Complaint always has to be parsed with and measured with player engagement. I complained about the skeleton key grind, but I kept playing. I kept grinding for skeleton keys in an Imago loop. See what I'm saying? Like the complaint must be parsed and sliced with and squared with player engagement. Are they still playing? Okay. Can we make it a little less painful, a little less frustrating? Would be the question. Right now, Sure, you can keep your gear. Look at the de-engagement numbers. Look at the way people stop playing. Now that's related to leveling and infusion. Sure, it's more nuanced than just people being like, I already have good gear. What I'm saying is, which is better? Nobody's complaining right now. They don't have to leave behind gear. Yay, that, that would be a victory, right? I don't think when you look at the player-based engagement numbers, you can count it as a victory. No, I don't. I don't think you can. I think Rise of Iron, I think I think Rise of Iron and King's Fall, I'm t- taking King, were eras in the game where you replace stuff, you chase new stuff, and in doing so, you felt the need to chase it. Now, I don't remember with Rise of Iron, did they make you, did they leave behind gear in Rise of Iron? I don't think you could keep using, could you keep using your, like, hung jury and stuff? Was that even possible? Or did that stuff get capped and left behind? I honestly can't remember. I just remember in Rise of Iron chasing all new gear. Maybe because I just felt like it. I don't know why. I felt like you had to leave behind a lot of that stuff. It did not get left behind. Okay, well. I... I... Yeah, I think a yearly to a two-year reset's needed. I just think every year to two years, you gotta refresh everything. You got it. You got to wash over the game. You got to. You could, but they changed the great vendor roles. That's right, because you couldn't get the hung jury anymore. That role went away. They refreshed all the roles. That's right. That's right. So it was. It was difficult to get certain items. Uh, Salty Rob says, "What do you think about only being able to infuse old gear once you hit the new max light level? This will make you use new gear and chase things once you hit max." You can infuse old gear. Man, I just really feel like we're fighting too hard to let Bungie off the hook. That's what I said earlier. I just feel like you're fighting way too hard to let Bungie off the hook. Don't let them off the hook. Dig your heels in, stand your ground, and tell Bungie to give you more stuff. Refresh the vendors. Give us more loot. Quit letting them off the hook. With this, these half-measure DLCs, these half-measure resets. No! Refresh the vendors! Give us new gear! Replace all my stuff! And then, you would be justified in leaving it behind and not letting me infuse it up. Like, you're letting them off the hook! You're like, yeah, no, it's fine. You, you don't have to give us a lot of new gear because I still have all my great gear from year one. That's just, I just think that's, you're, 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 not, a, you're not asking them to deliver excellence. Every year you should be asking for excellence. Give us dope new stuff, dope new perks. Yeah, that's fine. You leave behind all the old gear. I don't care because I know you're going to flood us with new stuff. That's ultimately the rub. 
That's just ultimately the rub is you're just like you're happy to continue using stuff from year one and never really asking for them to push things beyond that because they don't have to like what forsaken's loot offering was so small now understandably they were trying to fix the game so a lot of their efforts were probably spent on coming up with a weapon system and a mod system and a perk system and you know all that needed to happen just to create the depth that was intrinsic to forsaken but the actual quantitative depth wasn't there because they didn't refresh the vendors they didn't refresh any of the loot pools so that's the final question. We can keep discussing this, but I want to chop the podcast. So if you're in chat right now, if you've enjoyed this back and forth, be sure to click the follow button. That's the little heart button. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch me live. Twitch.tv slash say no to rage. That's with all of my content. I appreciate you listening and watching. Please like, share, and subscribe.